Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Film Seizure. I am Jeff Arbuckle. I'm Jason Oliver. And I'm Chuck Moore. And uh, we are going to be talking about the masterpiece 1974 Roman Polanski film, uh, often considered the most perfect screenplay to have ever been written by Mr. Robert Town, Chinatown. Um, China Robert Town? China Robert Town, right, exactly. Um, it is. So, it is. It is widely considered the the greatest screenplay ever written. It kind is. Of wild. That's kind of surprising to me. It yeah. is. Uh, it is still taught in screenwriting classes, like what the uh, uh, and I and I actually I did some I did some independent research on that that we'll I'm sure we'll get to as we are kind of unfolding this movie, but. And that was, the, in, that was the movie's only Academy Award as well, right? <clears throat> was that, screenplay. That is correct. It came out the same year as Godfather Part Two. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's going to be a tough it's, one. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so a couple of things here before we get started. Uh, this is one of our quarantine sessions. Uh, we are recording this via the Skype. So if uh, audio is a little bit different than normal, that's because we are on a teleconference recording this episode because we still want to entertain you later we will be singing a john lennon song uh, <laughs> yes that's uh, actually it, weird it's actually weird that it came out the same year as godfather 2 i guess robert evans wasn't involved with godfather part 2 interesting is he produced he was one of the producers on the godfather i believe robert evans and he, he produced chinatown yeah, well, it's probably because of uh, just Paramount you know, being being a producer in Paramount was probably what well, uh, I think he was the head of Paramount for a little while. Oh, oh very well. He, well, he stepped down in '74, so yeah, that's that probably is why that makes sense. Yeah, uh, this was the movie that brought uh, Roman Polanski back to Hollywood for better or worse. Um, well, well, one and once and only, it was his his. His U.S. is like I guess his first U.S. film after um, last, after right? Sharon Tate's death, right? Right. And it then his last U.S. based film because of the the raping. Yeah. So uh, that's an interesting element there. When we when we really kind of start unpacking the themes of Chinatown, it is actually kind of amazing that it is Roman Polanski's movie. <laughs> Yeah, considering the primary theme of of this movie. But uh, so, yeah. So, yeah. Roman Polanski did uh, Rosemary's Baby. Um, I do a Monster Mondays on Rosemary's Baby in about a month or two. So check that out. But um, and so I talked a little bit about this uh, in that episode that's already been recorded. But uh, yeah. So Robert Evans convinced Polanski to do Rosemary's Baby. And then talked him back into coming back to uh, Hollywood after Sharon Tate's death, right. uh, which was just a year after Rosemary's Baby came out. So, uh, but the, uh, he, <laughs> I uh, now Roman Polanski, of course, he he's known for um, two things: one, making movies; two, um, liking underage girls. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when he was arrested for the uh, rape of a 13-year-old, 14-year-old girl, 
she so sh- she eventually agreed to uh, drop all but the solicitation of a of a minor for illegal sex uh, in order for him to basically just take the plea bargain, you know, and do time served. Right. Right. Well, uh, he ran because the judge said, uh, fuck this. We're not giving him a plea bargain and I'll make sure he goes to jail for 50 years. And, uh, I, from what I understand, Polanski's, uh, (laughs) Polanski's lawyer was like, um, yeah, so he's throwing that out. You have to run. Dang. And he went to Europe. Now, in 1979, this is two years or a year or so after he ran, he did a movie called Tess, which de- which he got nominated for Best Director. He got nominated for Best Picture. And I often wonder if that was a sting operation to try to get him to come back for the Oscar <laughs> and then get arrested, like giving uh-huh. away free boats to people who haven't paid their their uh their speeding tickets i don't know uh, didn't that movie win win three oscars as well i think it uh, won stuff which is yeah oh test yeah uh yeah i mean he polanski's mostly known for it won art direction and cinematography and costume design it was nominated for best director best picture and best score yeah so yeah, it so, yeah between awards. Between Chinatown Test and Rosemary's Babies, that, that's pretty much Roman Polanski's. Uh, he's made a career off of those three movies. Test put um, Natasha Kinski on the map as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, so, he also had The Pianist later, speaking of making a career. That one, oh, yeah. quite a few. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, uh, so, Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, no, you're fine. I, I'm, I'm a a pretty big fan of the ninth gate personally that movie is way underappreciated um uh, really dig that flick when did that come out uh it was one of his 90s movies late 90s i, I think it sounds 99. familiar I'll, don't Johnny remember Depp. If watched it. yeah okay yeah i have right. seen that yeah i have seen it's that. kind of like it's kind of like an old school european devil movie you know yeah 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 no i i remember that because i think uh I remember seeing that at when um, the Showplace 16 was brand new, mm-hmm. that same that first year that it was open. Um, so yeah, all right. So Chinatown. Chinatown. Um, now originally Robert Town was asked to write a screenplay for The Great Gatsby by Robert Evans, and Town was like, uh, "I can't improve upon this. Uh, there's nothing I can do here for this." But Instead of you giving me basically like $150,000 or $175,000 to do Great Gatsby, give me $25,000 to write an original screenplay. And that's what became Chinatown. Um, and it's uh, it, it was basically intended the entire time to one of two things. One, it, it wants to be... Um, there, there's a historical connection to um, a, a water. Uh, what, what, what would you call that? Like a elements. Well, there was like a, there were there was water being stolen from areas of Southern California, oh, gotcha. and there was indeed a uh, like the um, the dam that they were talking about at the beginning of the movie that they wanted to build 
and uh, Hollis Mulray says, yeah, no, I was there for the disaster that, that killed like 500 people or whatever. I'm not going to build another dam like that. Uh, that was a real incident. In fact, to this day, I think it's the largest like incident that killed California, second largest to the San Francisco fire or something like that. But it was also written with the with the idea in mind that town really wanted to kind of stick to like the Raymond Chandler mysteries and stuff like yeah. that. So, um, so it, it's got its roots not only in a historical instance, but also in a storytelling instance. It was very, very, very heavily inspired by the Raymond Chandler stories that were very, um, uh, yeah, classic noir, classic, uh, you know, detectives and, uh, seedy underbelly of, of a city. And really this movie, <laughs> this movie is both slow moving, but also perfectly paced. And I wanted to ask you guys what you thought of that. Um, Chuck, I'll start with you because I know, I think, I think Jason, I think you and I have talked about Chinatown over the years before, but Chuck, I kind of wanted to get your opinion of, of what this, uh, what you thought of Chinatown in general. I liked it. I did find it kind of slow at times, um, but not too slow. It gave you time. I think the slow burn gave you time to think about what was going on. So the pacing was good there. It didn't rush you past you know, one moment that you're supposed to consider for another one, like a lot of modern movies do, they just bowl you over with with new information all the time. So I like the way you're fed in this one, the info. And overall, I thought it was a pretty good movie. I think my tastes have changed over the years. So I think if I watched this as a kid or even 20 years ago, I'd be like, that was boring. But mm-hmm. I, I did enjoy the... Uh, the overall presentation, the, the the filmography of it or the filming of it was great. Like there were a lot of great shots in this film, a lot of a lot of use of mirrors and reflections and and just cool ways of of getting shots done. Yeah, I actually yeah, because I think this movie shoots LA in a way that I don't know if it's ever been shot since or before it. Um, I was gonna. I was gonna say that it's kind of interesting that um, we've watched two movies recently that sort of took um, took its page a little bit from the the noir flick *Kiss Me Deadly*, um, which is a great LA noir film. Um, and Richard Kelly uh, is very influenced by by that film, and uh, his take on sort of the LA noir ended up becoming Southland Tales, whereas Robert Evans' sort of take on the, the L.A. Noir, or no, sorry, Robert Towns' uh, take on the L.A. Noir became, became Chinatown. So it's just, just very, very interesting uh, that these two movies we've, we've watched very recently. Yeah, well, and uh, I'll go ahead and say this for those listening. Next week, we're going to talk about The Two Jakes, which is the sequel to this movie. Uh, oh, it's not called, it's not called um, The Wrath of Khan? <laughs> that's uh brilliant chuck by the way <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry sorry while you're no, while you're laughing 
<laughs> While you're laughing, I'll correct myself. I said filmography. That's not what I meant. But I think you guys know what I meant. No, but, yeah, you're talking. So, yeah, yeah, cinematography. Yeah. <laughs> Thank uh, you. But no, uh, yeah, the uh, yeah. So I mean, like Chinatown and the Two Jakes are are, I think, and I'll talk a lot more about it in the next episode. But the character of Los Angeles are completely two different characters as well. Um, in this, we've got this kind of it's it's sunny it's uh, at one point jack nicholson even says la is a small town people talk people know each other it's like right right la is not a small town by the time the sequel comes along Um, yeah it's very romantic in in chinatown very romantic kind of look at the city and well well, uh, that's sort of where it's alluded to right is that really the only bad part of town is chinatown right Right. That's that's right. where where the, they're sort of you know the the meat cops have to cut their teeth and all of that you know. Yeah, yep. that's that's the other thing also because Chinatown, quote unquote, is both a place but also it's the central idea of the theme too. It's um, it's not saying necessarily Chinatown is bad, but it's. Chinatown where Jake Giddis who's Jack Nicholson's character is created that's his origin story it's not necessarily that everything is necessarily bad there sure it's just that everything that he learned about how shitty the world is right happened in Chinatown um and so yeah it's uh and we'll 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 get to the only scene that takes place in Chinatown in the movie called Chinatown that's the most important scene of the whole movie. <laughs> it's interesting uh, how small a role Chinatown really plays in yeah. the, in this film. I mean, it's the the culmination of everything at the end. But yeah, it's yeah. Weird. It's I was it's, like, when are they going to go to Chinatown? Damn it! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like we've gone every place in LA except Chinatown. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it, but it's just it's more of a thematic uh, idea there. But um, so yeah, so. Basically, the other thing that's I think is really, really interesting about the script is that, one, um, Jake Giddes is in every single scene of this movie. It's told directly from his perspective. So if something happened, you're not you don't see it before he knows about it. You're seeing it with him. And that was part of that Raymond Chandler perspective of it's got to be told through your your hero's perspective yeah and you've got to you've got to kind of piece together this this pretty complicated um story this pretty complicated case that he's working um with him yeah yeah and you you bring up a good point there too because that was the next point i was going to make you said that the story is complicated and it absolutely is but it's not convoluted no Uh, no it's not everything plays out exactly as you have been told by previous scenes that it's going to play out like the the entire thing like nothing is revealed by coincidence everything is revealed properly as it's as it's coming out so like as you're as you're going through this case like he's following hollis mulray who's going around to seven different places that are dry lake or that are dry river beds and watching for, you know, uh, what what ultimately becomes 
the riverbeds are filled up and then it's sucked away and it's filled back up again. And he's, he's following and watching that. And you're watching him watch that. And you're understanding, Oh wait, what's going on here? Why is this guy, as they said, uh, as somebody said later in the movie, it's like, Oh, he's got water on the brain because all he does is go around and watch these runoffs and these, uh, these places where, there should be water, but the water's dry or the riverbed's dry. Um, but then later you discover that one of the places that Giddis was watching Hollis Mulray watch the, you know, the, the, the water not be where, where he expects it to be. You find out that the town drunk drowned there. And Giddis is like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's, you know, it's, it, there was no water there. It's in, you have to be pretty damn drunk to drown in as little water as I saw there. Right. And, but but that, that pieces it all together that, oh, well, no, the water is being moved and being controlled. Yeah, that's one of the neat things about it, too, is because he, he – it kind of sets up this, this idea that this is this vast conspiracy, right? Because yeah. – um, oh, what is the, the coroner's in on it too? You know, I think he even makes a mention of that at some point. It's like either it's this or, or there's this vast conspiracy and, and everyone's in, a, in on it all the way down to the corner, right? Um, and it does. It kind of makes you think, well, yeah, what is, what is going on? Like he clearly drowned. Why would the coroner make that up? You know, did somebody pay him off? And the coroner's just kind of coy about it. You know, he's like, what can I tell you? You know, get yeah, out of my face. Get out, yeah. get out of my face. You know, I'm doing my job, right. you know? Well, and not only that, but also like there are other scenes, too, where it's like you you stumble upon exactly what it is that he stumbles upon. Like when he goes and when he goes to the Mulray's house to try to help Hollis Mulray with whoever's trying to set him up. And we'll get to that here in a minute. But he's in the backyard and the gardener is like you know, doing something with the pond and he keeps saying it's bad for the glass. And, and at first Giddis is like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. The glass. Sure. And then when he goes back there the second time, realizing that the water in that little pond on the Mulray's property is salt water. It's like, Oh, he said it's bad for the grass. Holy shit. Hollis Mulray was killed here and then dumped someplace else. Uh, you know, you're finding that out at the same time, but it's not coincidental. It's not just the deus ex machina. The whole thing was there from the beginning. It was all there, yeah. It was all there. You just had to put the pieces Well, there's together. even an early clue, like um, the only word he can make out when he sees um, Cross and Mulray talking, right? He's taking the pictures. Is is the only thing he can make out is apple core, yeah. right? And that comes back around with Ab- what is it, Abelcor or whatever the company that yeah, that Cross right. um, owns, yeah. And I, I was like that because because you kind of you you do sort of piece together the clues as you're giving them and as as um, Jake figures them out, which I think when we talk about the movie next week, that's one of its faults is uh, is the, the script is just not as strong as this one. Yeah, um, we. I I've got a lot to talk about with the two Jakes. Uh, we'll save until then. But uh, yeah, I mean, no, I I'm not going to disagree with you on that. It's I mean, it's I think it's still a good character sequel, while not being a a movie on the same level as I mean, mm-hmm. 
Chinatown we, is one of the greatest movies ever. So, can we go, go back more more towards the beginning? I don't know if you're going to talk about the actual setup of yeah. of what happens, but I have a question about something subsequent to that. I couldn't figure out. But okay. if you want to talk about the beginning first, that's yeah. So, um, all right. So it, the movie begins with uh, we we get established uh, what JJ Giddis is. Jake is a uh, private investigator who specializes in philandering basically when when uh when wives are cheating on husbands or husbands are cheating on wives and he has a whole team of people who will go out tell people take pictures of them you know doing their indiscretions what have you and he is talking to our good friend burt young who is always uh, uh, jason what did you say he's always playing the same character. Oh my God, he's always playing a dirtbag, dirtbag Polly, <laughs> beating up on women and just like slob. Like yeah. Oh, stain on his shirt, you know. Right. Always. When he uh, when he's like uh, freaking out about the pictures that he's seeing, he goes over to the uh, to the Venetian blinds and starts <laughs> chewing on them. <laughs> and, <laughs> to which Jack Nicholson's like, "Hey." Uh, you know, stop chewing on the blinds. Yeah, he's, I just he's, had those Jung installed. Is literally chewing the scenery. It's amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. And so he's uh, so anyway. So he's um, he basically is just uh, he is. I mean, Giddis is not exactly a bad guy, but he deals in things that most people would think of him as being scum for doing. I sure, mean, he but, is, yeah, but he also is very defensive of his reputation. Um, he, he, yes. he has a hard line. Yeah. You know, I, it's, it's a, it's an honest living that he, that he goes about. It might not be, you know, what most people would choose, but that's his, sort of his lot in life. And that's his, that's how he makes a living. And, and he, and he wants to make sure it's all done above board and, and legal. yeah, he has. Yeah, a, if anyone mentions extortion, he gets really angry. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I mean, he, the whole point of the movie really is him trying to make to make sure that his reputation isn't tarnished because uh, he was set up himself. You know. Exactly. He wants to see this thing through because it was him that was made to look like a patsy, and he doesn't like right. that. Yes, and there's more to. Th- I mean, yes, that is the the central like beginning of his arc. His arc takes him someplace else, though, by the end of the sure. movie. But, um, but no, I mean, like, he is, I mean, and even in the sequel, he is constantly talking about what's ethical, what's legally ethical for him to do or not do with his clients, which means he does have a certain sense of ethics, even if his morals are a little bit gray. He's, will- he's willing to go around those ethics. So you find out a little more about that in the next movie. But right. Yeah. Well, well, right, um, right, and that's one of the things that I've got to say about the movie. But anyway, the uh, but yeah. So then there is uh, Diane Ladd shows up, and she's like, uh, "My name is Evelyn Mulray, and I think my husband is cheating on me." And uh, and he's even at that point like he also is very cautious to get involved with things as well. Like he asks her, well, are you, do you love your husband? Then maybe it's best that you don't know what he does. 
I'm sure he loves you too. And you don't really want to know what the truth is. He, he's very, um, he has this, um, he doesn't always want to do what he does, but it's almost like he has like a, a sense about when he should get involved and when he shouldn't. So he basically, he ultimately, uh, takes, takes the job. Yeah. Uh, you, he, you also kind of get the feeling that, uh, it's another one of these, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. It's, it's like, these are the only jobs he gets. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so he starts following Hollis Mulray, who he first follows him because he's uh, basically the commissioner of the, of, uh, what is it? Uh, water and water and power, water and power, yep. chief engineer, water and power. And, um, he, and Mulray is an interesting guy. He's not exactly suave. He's not exactly, uh, the best put together person. He's just kind of this gangly kind of nerdy guy. And he seems to be kind of a tortured soul. Uh, yeah. As he follows him from one location to the next, looking at these dried up riverbeds, uh, refusing to build something that could very potentially break and kill people. Uh, even in the face of these farmers who are desperate and Ron Howard's dad coming in yelling at him. Uh, he was the guy who had the had the sheep that when they came or the goats <laughs> or whatever. That was that was Rance Howard. Um, that, that's that was a little goofy in my opinion. Like, well, that's, it's that's a lot of work to bring your sheep to to the city hall or whatever. But <laughs> but if the sheep are there, you're probably going to get your chance to talk because people are going to be too busy with the fucking sheep. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe I mean, like, if, if you bring in like fucking forty cats into a fucking room, people are going to be too busy dealing with the cats. You can say whatever it is that you need to say on record, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> but he's tortured over that because he understands the weight of the fact that these poor farmers essentially are dying. I mean, their animals are dying. Their life. Their their plants are, or, you know, whatever their crop is, is dying. And yet he doesn't feel that it is proper for him to just sign off on something that he knows is not sturdy enough to do what the proposal says. It will ultimately do worse if he signs off on this. Uh, so it, so long story short, uh, Giddis finds Mulray interacting with a young woman, a woman he calls trashy at one point, not realizing who she is. Um, or even even pretty in a cheap way, I think. Pretty in a cheap right. way, yeah. yeah. And, and he's like, it, one of my favorite things about, about Jack Nicholson in this, he has no, like, he can't speak to women. <laughs> he is constantly like he wants to tell the fucking the dirty joke about the about the guy who's fucking like a Chinaman, quote unquote. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he that. tells us he tells his secretary, he's like, uh, "Will you go outside for a little bit?" <laughs> so like he doesn't yeah. enter. But but then like he's like when he meets uh, Evelyn Mulray, the real Evelyn Mulray, uh, Faye Dunaway, later in the restaurant, they're like. 
talk about whatever. And he's like, so he's hanging out with this broad, excuse me, you know, or whatever. Like he, he can't <laughs> right. not say what he feels, but he also feels bad for saying what he feels. <laughs> but anyway, he, uh, so he, Here, here's is, where I have a question. If okay. I, if I can, when, when he finds Mulray with the, with the young girl who at the time you assume is a little bit older than she actually is. And I won't divulge who she is yet, but do you think there was really something going on with those two? Cause that's a bit weird and a bit Polanski. Um, it's, I, I don't know. Jason, what do you think? I, I am inclined to say no. Um, cause I think Mulray's a good guy. I feel like, like he is like a morally upstanding yeah. kind of dude and wouldn't do something like that, but they never really explain it away either. So, so, <laughs> I, so I, I don't think that she is. Um, I don't think there's anything untoward there um, because he, Mulray has essentially been the one responsible for keeping her hidden all these years with his money um, and down in Mexico, right. which I guess I'm kind of, kind of spoiling things, but um so no, and I think that the, the idea here is that you know she wanted to come back. Um, well, and and, the other... and I think that she's you know he's kind of been her benefactor, factor, basically her father figure. Yeah. Well, benefactor also benefactor like benefactor. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> also remember that Mulray and Noah Cross had a falling out. Right. Exactly. And why might that be? Well, probably it's probably yeah. over this. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so, a benefather is better than a body father, by the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're just the body father. <laughs> and the grandfather. Yeah. 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 Oh, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm going to agree with Jason on that. I had never really thought too much about it, but that does help put together, like, why did Cross and Mulray have a falling out shortly after they what was it, after they gave the the water and power back to the city or something like that? It was Yeah, and yeah. it was explained that that was their problem, I think, My was that. My question, but honestly, that's not is it. why they gave it to the press to run. Because it, uh, it had to be Cross that did that. And I'm guessing so, but but at, but at first, you know, Giddis is like, well, hell yeah, I'm, you know, I'm making a little cheese off of this now. You know, it's like, I've got my name in the paper. I've got my, you know, it's like, and that's when he goes to get a, a haircut and a shave and the mortgage uh, officer or loan officer or whatever was like, oh, you're a dirty, right. you know, right. you're a dirt bag. And it's like, well, at least I don't throw people out on their fucking asses. And like wants to beat the shit out of that guy. Well, it's just, it just, it makes me wonder because it's, it's like Cross is a bad guy in two ways in this movie. And the whole, he sort of inadvertently like uh discovers the existence of you know the 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 mistress we'll call her for now and who she is but i don't think that was his original intention his original intention was to i think um just damage Mulray publicly because yeah. of the damn deal yeah i guess yeah right because the thing Create is a scandal that- get him out of the way Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately, uh, soon after the story breaks, um, the real Evelyn Mulray shows up <laughs> with Jack Nicholson's telling. Uh, let's let's face it, a pretty funny joke. That that uh, is that is that is the vintage Jack Nicholson scene in this movie. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> he, can't, he can he barely like, tell the joke. He like slaps his knee basically he starts laughing hysterically at the punchline. Oh yeah. my god. Turns around, sees Faye Dunaway, and immediately stops, straightens up, and it's like, um, how can I help you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So she says, uh, I'm the, I am Evelyn Mulrain. And he's like, well, I don't, I, that is not the person that I met who said that it was Evelyn Mulray. And she's like, um, look, I'm, you know, I don't have to get tough with you. My lawyers will. And that sends him now down the path of why am I being set up here? What is it right. that, that, that got me into this position uh, outing a powerful person who in a few days ends up dead in them in one of the uh, runoffs or, or the uh, one aqueducts. of the water races aqueducts yeah and uh, but the thing is is that uh, yeah there is shady shady land deals so if you've never seen uh, Chinatown um Stop listening. Come back later. Watch the movie. It's uh, but now we're going to get into some pretty, uh, pretty serious. Uh, we're going to basically lay out this entire <laughs> this entire mystery now. Right. Uh, so, OK, so now uh, he ends up understand like he gets uh, paid by Evelyn Mulray to find out who set up her husband he realizes that her middle initial is C which stands for cross which is her maiden name and he puts two and two together that a an incredibly rich man by the name of Noah Cross who's in a lot of pictures at the water and power office where uh, he has uh, very expertly stolen some of the deputy commissioner's cards or the or the or whatever the the guy uh, just under uh, Hollis Mulray. He steals his card so he can sneak around and, and check out some stuff. And he um, he ends up uh, eventually putting two and two together that Noah Cross is actually Evelyn Mulray's father. And when he tells her that he knows this, she gets real weird about it. She gets... <laughs> Real weird about it. <laughs> and yeah, so this is where it gets weird with, with Evelyn Mulray because she's got a big secret she's hiding. And it's not really clear to me why she wants um, why she wants uh, you know, Jack or not Jack, uh, Jake on this case, right? Like, what what can she really get out of this ultimately? I mean, yes, her husband is dead and she wants to to know who killed him, but she has a pretty good idea already. Yeah, I feel like she knew <clears throat> who um, did it. I feel like she did. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. But as a part I, of her that she just wants to get this all out in the open. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's uh, I, right, because also <clears throat> if she knows how dangerous her father is and if maybe somehow this guy gets enough information, but maybe not all the information. There'll be at least enough to see that there was some sort of conspiracy. Right. She'll get some sort of justice. Right. Uh, Which, by the way, she the, the rate that she pays him. So so uh, Jake Giddis' rate, uh, this I found interesting, it was $35 a day. 
Yes. Plus 20 for his associates. Right. Plus expenses. Plus a bonus if he does his job well. Right? Yes. So I did the the inflation calculation on this. And I don't know what L.A. private detectives go for these days, but this is expensive. He is an expensive P.I. That's like $988 a day. And that's before well, expenses. Oh, well, but okay. Uh, just uh, 20 years later after this movie is the time of Perry Mason and Perry Mason costs like five fucking thousand dollars retainer plus like $250 a day. Dang. That's expensive for 1950 for 50 anything. That's expensive for 1990 anything. (laughs) Well, well, cross then offers him a bonus. He's like, yes, you know, you work for me, I'll double your rate and I'll offer you a bonus of $10,000. Wanna know how yes. much ten thousand dollars is in uh in twenty twenty money? Okay. So from nineteen thirty seven to, to twenty twenty, it's a hundred and seventy nine thousand dollars. That's a lot. I, w- I wonder if Cross ever paid him. <laughs> I mean, he did he did his I guess he did, he his, did, job. did his job. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean Yeah, but I mean I mean I mean I guess somebody had to pay for that that art deco um refurbishing that his offices had 11 years later, you know? Well, damn, he had a whole new building of his own. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, he had a building to himself, yeah. That is, <laughs> Plus, he was gone for how many years? Yeah. Yeah, he was Sorry, gone go for ahead. a few years in the in the war, yeah. Plus, yeah, he had to so... buy a new car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, those fucking orange farmers fucked up his car. Dude, so... he gets shot at three times in this movie. That's the other thing. How many times does, does Jake Guinness get shot at in The Two Jakes? Zero. Zero times. He gets <laughs> shot at three times in Chinatown. Three times. <laughs> Forget it, Jason. It's Chinatown. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so really what he finds out is that, like, okay, so a bunch of people have bought up a bunch of land on the outskirts of L.A., basically in the valley. I think is what Noah Cross says with the idea that uh, as Cross puts it, the Valley. So basically it's a, it's, it's making Los Angeles bigger, but servicing those people and making the people in Los Angeles, the old Los Angeles pay for the water that's going out into the boondocks, basically. Did I get that right? I think right? Yeah. so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for the most part. I think that's much. right. Because I think, because what he's going to be able to do with that is turn is basically flip that land right. into, he's, into he's expensive He's buying up all this, all this so-called worthless land by, but then he, they know they're going to route the water there, back there, and then it's going to be worth a bunch of money again. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. Uh, I think he put it, it's like, um, if you can't bring the water to Los Angeles, bring Los Angeles to the water. So if he sends the water out there and then incorporates all of that, you've, right. you've done, you've done exactly that. Right. So then, um, so <laughs> Jake and, uh, and Evelyn Mulray get, um, get pretty close. Um, <laughs> about as close they, as two people can get. Pretty much. Yeah. Fake, fake Dunaway's eye, eyebrows in this bug me. 
<laughs> they're like, I don't know, they're man. Drawn they're, on. they're drawn on and they're really thin and they, they kind of creep me out. <laughs> she is, um, she's a fascinating character in this. Like she, she is, is both really, really, really seductive, but also like somebody you don't really want to be around. Like, it's like, uh, she's got, she's got issues, man. I don't know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but and she and she hides she hide like she's not very sneaky either. It's pretty clear she's she's hiding a lot of stuff from Well, from she's Jake. right. And she is well, you know that because Jake is particularly good at not trusting people. Yeah, true. Um she's very cagey. She is. A little, and little bit squirrely, she, just just kinda Yeah. Just well, she very, knows she knows when to draw him in and then when to shut him out. Very erratic with her emotions. Yeah, she gives you she gives you enough in this movie to make you think she could be responsible for some things. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Which yes. exactly. I think the whole intent of her being like cagey and squirrely is to confuse me while I'm watching. Well, <laughs> well I think also it's uh, I mean it's just it's her. Um, she she's her father has now come back into her life, whether she, I mean, like by way of her, um, okay. By way of her daughter, sister, her father is now back in her life. And, it, right. and it's thrown She's my her daughter, off. my sister, my daughter, <laughs> my sister. God damn. Jack was just smacking the shit out of her in that scene. too. Yeah, he really was. <laughs> <laughs> point uh she they were frustrated over how the scene was going and at one point he actually did slap her because she told him to she's like just just lay it on me and then i guess he felt like shit for the rest of the filming um but i know that probably personally roman polanski was happy roman polanski and faye dunaway hates each other's guts oh that doesn't surprise me yeah yeah. uh but anyway uh, so yeah, so she is, uh, she is holding the supposed mistress in a house out, uh, in some neighborhood. I think it's Khan's house, right? Her servant, her, um, her, no, it's not Khan's house. It's James. not Khan's house because they would go to Khan's house at the end. Oh, that's, some okay. of house. that's right. Um, yeah, I don't know whose house it is. Just they got or money. It, they just have as many is it, houses. Is it the is it the maid's house? It might be. Not, yeah, it might be the maid's house. But Khan is there taking care of the uh, of the mistress. mistress, who is in actuality, um, she says it's my sister, and that yeah, I mean, and yeah, I think he starts putting two and two together that you know that that Mole Ray at that point was a good dude just kind of but why the hell is she holding him what or holding her against her will seemingly um the girl was in pretty bad shape because she was upset over hollis being killed um yeah so they um (laughs) so jack starts to or jack jake starts to realize that Okay, so there's this shady land deal going on. All of these people in this old folks' home are the quote-unquote owners of all of this quote-unquote worthless land out 
in the orange fields and the valley where it's right, like right next to a desert. Uh, well, it's practically in the desert. Um, and so now he realizes that Noah Cross had basically had Hollis Mulray killed because he finds Mulray's uh, glasses in the salty pond that's in his backyard. And when he realizes that salt water was in the lungs of Mulray, that he was killed on the property and then taken out and dumped in the aqueducts. Well, at that point, he thinks that, that um, not Catherine, the other Mulray, the older Mulray, Evelyn. Um, Evelyn. He thought that Evelyn killed him. Yes. And so then he when originally she, yeah. goes, goes to that house to confront her about it. And he, you know, he slaps the truth out of her, basically. Pretty much. Um, then, you know, she tells him those aren't Hollis's glasses. Those are. He doesn't wear bifocals. He doesn't wear bifocals. And and he nails Cross on that because he gives him something to read and he has to put on glasses to read. And, and that's when he realizes. Right. Oh, I found your glasses, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's another one of those moments, too, that in the setup of this film is really great like you had expressed earlier um, when he first goes to see cross, he has to put on his, his bifocals to read something. Yeah. So I think at that point, Jake knows he just needs to prove it right now. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah. There's all those little clues throughout the movie that are great. Right now, during the course of this, Jake accidentally, not accidentally wrongfully involves the cops who are now going after Evelyn Mulray for, um, well, kidnapping the the mistress and killing her husband, and uh, so he has to enlist um, Bert Young <laughs> yeah. to sneak to, <laughs> to basically drive Evelyn and Catherine and Khan out to Chinatown to Khan's place to where they will then uh, go. In, to go to Mexico and then Jake will catch up with them in Mexico. Um, that was a pretty first, clever plan, by the way. Sorry. Well, it was until Jake fucked it all up. Right. <laughs> which I've got a lot to say about some of Jake's uh, actions in this because he's really to blame for everything that happens in this. But he um, he takes, he goes back to Cross to basically like big ball him and say, Hey motherfucker, I just, I just found you out. You're rich. What's the fucking point in, you know, like selling off all this land, fucking the people that, that had been paying for the water. Who's going to be paying for somebody else's water. What's the point in all of this? Um, is it just because essentially just asking him, are you just evil to which cross is like, yeah, yeah, I am. And, uh, but in doing so, he gets himself captured and forced to take them to Evelyn and Catherine, who are try who have not yet escaped Chinatown to go south to Mexico. And uh, so the big climax of the movie, uh, Noah Cross thinks he's re he's regained his uh, younger daughter granddaughter and um evelyn's like get the fuck away from you monster 
or get get the fuck away from her, shoots him in the arm, drives off, which then gets uh, a an important an important character for the sequel, sort of uh, Lieutenant Roush, to fire at Evelyn, shooting her through the eye, and killing her in front of Catherine, and allowing Catherine to be taken away by Noah Cross. Probably, I think. Uh, I think our I think our minds are supposed to think to have the exact same thing happen to her that happened to Evelyn. And uh, Jake yeah, is pretty. Yeah, Jake <laughs> is pretty pissed off. And uh, his buddy that uh, is with him, even in the sequel, tells him, "Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown." So yeah, pretty bummer ending. <laughs> yeah, so a couple things about about the script, which is interesting to me, that um, you know, obviously it's well regarded as this wonderful screenplay, but the things that maybe make it really tick were Polanski's additions. He he rewrote the ending. Yes, he did to make it a, to make it a downer ending. He also reordered the um, the way things unfold, so that just like we said, you know, we we discover everything as as Jake does. That was Polanski re- reordering the events in the script. He removed um, the, he removed voiceover. Removed the voiceover, which we get in uh, in spades in the next one. Yeah. Um, so so kind of kind of fascinating that um, that yeah it, it's it, it maybe was is one of the greatest screenplays ever written, but it it, it still needed work to to yeah. make it as well, well regarded it, as it is. It, it takes <clears throat> Roman Polanski who knew a thing or two about making a good movie. Right. Um, the script is still, I mean, the script and the story and the characterization are pretty tight, uh, which is not, I mean, one of the things I wanted to, to talk about with the script, which I mentioned earlier was the fact that none of this happens by contrivance, really like everything is there. It's just, it's putting the pieces together like a puzzle. It's not, it, you know, pieces don't fall together because they fell out of the box put together already. Like, a, like most modern day scripts would, you know, it's like, well, you're going to have to suspend a little bit of disbelief for this contrivance to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, or we're going to force this to work out this way. Um, it, it's, it, it's paced in a way to where, nothing is really forced or nothing is really, um, um, you know, put together incorrectly, but, um, but yeah, so, I mean, uh, this movie is about, um, well, it's, it's got a couple of things. Well, okay. So first, one of the things that you mentioned, Jason was the, you know, how the ending was changed by Polanski. The original ending was that, uh, Evelyn would kill Cross, but get captured by the police, and she would end up in jail. So, she, so basically, Jake and Evelyn could never be together anyway. It's a little bit more melodramatic, but she would end up in jail for essentially, basically, getting revenge on her father. But Polanski, who is still in a pretty deep, dark place over the whole Sharon Tate stuff, was like, 
no, this is this uh, this has to be a tragedy, and and it's like there there's really only one way to do this, and that's to kill her, and it's um, later Robert Town admits that even though they fought about it for like days, I he did eventually say, yeah, he was right that th- this is the only way this movie could end. Right, and I think uh, Jake left Chinatown in the first place because of a similar yep. situation occurred where he lost he lost the girl he was trying to protect. Yeah, so he was trying to protect somebody to make sure she wasn't hurt, but all he did was ensure that she did. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. So that's the other. That's another major theme in this is that, as I kind of alluded to, everything is Jake's fault. The, the fact that, that Evelyn Mulray dies and Catherine Mulray, Mulray is back in the hands of her incestuous father-grandfather, that's Jake's fault. Uh, at the beginning, Jake is scarred by his time as a, as a beat cop in Chinatown. And, and you see that at the beginning when he tells uh, Ida Sessions, who is who is basically hired to be, to be Evelyn Mulray to start the whole wheels turning to get Hollis out of the way. She, uh, he tells her basically don't get involved. There's no good in getting involved and basically learning from that, that the less you are involved with something, the less pain you will get out of it. And then once he realizes that he that his reputation's on the line, and that gets him started down the path of trying to figure out who set him up and why. He starts acting like a hero, and when he starts acting like a hero, he starts doing things impulsively. While you could make the argument that he's doing good things, he's not doing the right things at the right time. Uh, I get that. I get that argument, but I also I think it's a bit unfair because he is hired to do these things. So saying it's his fault and he fails in the end, he clearly fails in the end. But he was hired to do these things, so he. Well, but I know there's some personal interest there for him, but he is just doing his job too. Well, the thing is, though, is it begins the compound. By the end of the movie, he calls the cops on Evelyn, which forces her to go uh, basically into a situation where she has to escape while she right. does that, which also makes it worse for her for the police. But then while she's doing that, he goes and confronts Cross by himself instead of with the instead of waiting for Escobar to show up and say, I was wrong. Come with me. I know who the real person is. Let's go get him. He yeah. just takes off like a fucking cowboy and and tries to take That's, down Cross himself, which only brings Cross to both Cross and the police to Chinatown. I agree with that. It's a character flaw through both movies for him that he continues to do stuff alone and hides as much as possible from everybody yeah. while he's figuring things out. Right. And so it's kind of it's kind of a hubris, yeah. 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 And you know, and it's the, the purpose of that is to kind of have a throwback because this movie takes place during a time in which ultimate heroism defeated ultimate evil every time. Like uh, something like uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, right? A single man stands up against corruption 
and changes the course of history. And this is a movie that, while taking place during a much more um, cynical time, is throwing back to the idea that a single person could make a difference, only for it to be a cynical 70s movie in which he fails. Um, so it's it's trying to, like... And the thing is, is that he learned, he should have learned his lesson by all of that pain he carries with him from Chinatown, that um, evil is always going to exist and you can't topple all of the evil all at once. You have to, you have to take the small wins and all he, all he needed to do was to help Evelyn and Catherine get out of the country. That's a small win. And then tell cross, "Eh, I didn't get to him or I didn't get to him. time." You know, and now cross would still, you know, all of his evil machinations would still play out in this land deal. And he did kill Hollis, but he didn't get his hands on, you know, his, his incest daughter. Right. And stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it is, um, uh, it's one of those movies that has, um, (laughs) you know, it's, it's a guy trying to do the right things, but he is kind of going about some of it in the wrong way. Right. When he like, yeah, some of that stuff, like going to the, um, you know, like investigating the, uh, the, the aqueducts, which ultimately gets his nose cut by Roman Polanski, by the way, that was, yeah. 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 Man Um, with knife. Man with knife. Roman Polanski. Yep. Oh, yeah. that was Roman. I didn't even realize <laughs> yep. that. Yeah. Um, so he, you know, it's like that stuff is, is he's doing what he should be doing, going to the old folks home and finding out that these are all the people who bought the land. That's, that's perfectly with it. But it starts to compound when he starts to get that kind of, um, belief that he will topple the, the evil bad guy all by himself when he really can't. That speaking of it, his nose being cut. Did either of you guys find it hard to take him seriously while he was wearing the bandage? It was a bit, com- <laughs> yes. it was a bit comical to me almost. And I don't know if that was like intentional I or, think it is. or what. Yeah. I, I kind of always thought that it is because it, it, um, it again proves that he is really just a guy. Yeah. And right. it's like, he, he can't take down more than just one other guy at the same time. You know, right. so uh, so getting involved in a larger, grander scheme uh, should end worse for him. Right. But, he, he definitely doesn't utilize his his partners. Well, they're not his partners, but his his workers his well enough yeah. to help help himself. Like, right. I don't know. Yeah, that is a definite um, feeling. A couple of things. Uh, one of his uh, uh, operatives, Duffy is played by um oh shit it's um bruce glover and he was one of the uh homosexual hitmen from diamonds are forever huh um but he's been in a ton of a ton of movies where he's basically playing some lackey or some (laughs) just some character actor is that Uh, crispin glover's dad i don't know because Stephanie, that character, said, is that Crispin Glover's dad? And we didn't know huh. 
you know what his name was. But well, let's see here. Uh, he looks let's... he looks a bit like Crispin Glover. Bruce Glover. Let's see here. Uh, yes, father of actor Crispin Glover. <laughs> <laughs> totally. She is. nailed That's it. Crazy. She nailed it. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's um, so uh, yeah, but uh, the the line that that kills me, or the scene that kills me every time, more so than the joke that he tells about the guy screwing like the Chinese guy, um, <laughs> when. Uh, <laughs> When he and uh, Duffy and Lawrence, Lawrence is in the two Jakes also, mm -hmm. uh, they are, you know, they're talking about like what's going on and, and all of this and, and all of the crazy stuff that he's trying to track down and everything. And his, um, his, uh, Sophie, I think is his, um, his uh, secretary keeps calling in. It's like, um, hey, you've got a call from Ida Sessions on the phone. He's like, do I know her? Who is this? Who is this broad, basically? And she's like, well, she says you know her. And it's like, oh, no, just take a message. And then she calls back in. And it's like, hey, um, you don't know. She says it's really, really important. So he picks up the phone and starts talking to her. Meanwhile, Lawrence and Duffy are still, like, you know, Josh and Jake about, you know, getting involved in this big conspiracy. And he's like, how do I know you lady? And she's like, well, I came in and said that I was Evelyn Mulray. And he immediately just shouts, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and that just kills me. The way <laughs> and she's like, I'm sorry. Is there a problem? He's, oh no, I'm just talking to my associates. <laughs> yep. <laughs> just how quick and how sharp is he? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> awesome. But, uh, yeah, I, um, uh, the other big thing that this is a complete and total accident, by the way, uh, there are constant, um, there, there's constantly reference made to pairs of things like, uh, there's always, uh, like, um, like, uh, Nicholson's, uh, nostrils, one's damaged, one is right. Uh, his sunglasses, one uh, one lens gets broken, one isn't. Uh, Cross's glasses, one lens is broken, one isn't. He breaks one of Evelyn Mulray's brake lights to follow her. Uh, she has one eye that has a, um, a, a messed up iris, which I think is also the eye that she gets shot through. Yeah, she has a black spot in her iris or whatever. In her iris, yeah. And um, so there's constant, like, at one point when he goes and um, he he discovers that water's being pumped to different locations, he loses one shoe. Um, so, like, there's constant, like, comparisons to duplicates. He gets one nostril cut. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and he's... Uh, yep, yep, and, yep. <laughs> He is a, so like, and that was not in the script and it was not one of Polanski's things. It just happened. And it's like, people are constantly like studying it because also the girl who plays Catherine, um, Catherine Cross or Catherine Mulray is cast because she looks a lot like Faye Dunaway, just younger, but she's the imperfect copy because she's, an incest baby. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a there's a uh, another duplicate in in the two Jakes. I wonder if it's intentional just to comment on that. But um, 
the uh, the lieutenant or whatever, he loses a leg. So he yeah. has one missing leg and one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was. Some, yeah, that's definitely something that that uh, I picked up on, too, because there is yet another duplicate. The reason why I wanted to make sure there that I mentioned the the character of Lausch is because that does play into the two Jakes as right. well. Right. Yep. yep. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so um, yeah. So I mean, like, there's there's like even happy accidents in this movie that that ends up making it that much more worthy of study. Um. But it's um. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I um, I really there's a couple lines that I just really like from this movie. I just just love the the dialogue in this movie. Uh, it's very snappy in a lot of ways. And at one point, I forget where it fell in the story, but Jack says to someone, "To tell you the truth, I lied a little." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> love yep, that line. Yep. Well, and he then, also um, he also says to uh, Escobar. Uh, towards the like right right as the climax is building oh you're dumber than you think i think you are <laughs> yeah yeah that's a great one he also um he also i think this is the commissioner not no the, this might have been the corner who said this um middle of a drought and the water commissioner drowns only in la <laughs> yeah yep yep yeah that was the uh, yeah that was the corner yeah um Oh, as I told you guys the other night, uh, this was Jerry Goldsmith's score. It was initially supposed to be somebody else's, but uh, they ended up getting fired or it was rejected by Polanski. And Goldsmith was brought in, and he had only like 10 days to write the, the score for it. And for that 10 days of work, he got nominated for an Oscar. Wow. So that's that's pretty well, good. Not only that, but it's um, it's I think it's considered like one of the top 10 – Movie scores ever written? Yeah, I noticed that he borrows a little bit from his Planet of the Apes soundtrack. Interesting, it, Interesting. because because there's a there's a little bit of just kind of erratic piano mm-hmm. that happens in some of the scenes, and it's like, oh yeah, that was you know, Planet of the Apes where he just like basically just did this to the yeah, he just was hitting keys at some points right. just for stings. Uh, but yeah, like the the jazzy um, Jason, you called it. Um, sleazy yeah the movies the movie's a little sleazy. it's 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 sleazy yeah it's a sleazy underbelly with kind of a nice little shiny veneer i guess it's it. i guess it's sax or not saxophone it's trumpet um there's a oh, quote yeah. actually the trumpet player uh said the goldsman told him to play it sexy but like it's not good sex <laughs> <laughs> well one of uh, that's fantastic yeah it is one of uh, Polanski's best friends is a uh, was a composer that did scores for some of his movies and stuff and Robert Evans asked him what he thought of the score after they saw the movie on the premiere night or like I don't know if it was premiere but um, Polanski invited him to see like a like a first screening or something and he's like, oh, the movie's great, but you're going to have to change that score. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. that, that sounds like a, an, uppity, uh, an, upper, an uppity European guy saying that, too. Oh, totally. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> I guess that was not a joke. I think he really thought that it needed to be changed. Wow, that's funny. Um, well, he was wrong. He was wrong. Also, um, from, a, from a 
record diggers perspective, I see that score in every record store I've ever been in when I check their soundtracks. There's, there's always a copy of that record. Of, I of think Chinatown? I've, of I've Chinatown. seen it a lot as yeah. well. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. It has been reissued several times. Um, and yes, it is, it is, a. it's, there's a lot of copies out, out in the wild. Um, I really, the only other thing that I have to add here, I know I've mostly been driving this episode. I'm sorry, guys. No, it's all good. I could have just, just done this by myself, I suppose. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Damn. Thank you. Uh, sorry, just getting a little bit of that Jake Giddis uh, Shop hubris liver. there. Yeah. yeah. Um, you would have failed. Shut the fuck up. The end, uh... <laughs> oh, I really like the stopwatch trick. With yes, the, that is brilliant. See, that's another one of those. Cool? Damn it, that's yeah. what I was gonna bring up. Oh dang, sorry. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it too. Yeah. I was like, why does Susan he have? And I a... were like, damn, that's smart. <laughs> yeah, I was like, why does he have a glove box worth of stopwatches? <laughs> there's there's something in in two Jakes where he has a um, like I think his entire desk is made out of dimes. Yep. And oh there's yeah. There's a reason for that because of the of his operatives hanging out at phone booths. Oh like, my god. You got yeah, you yeah, got dimes yeah. a bunch of times. Yep. Yep. Um, but yeah, because he's like constantly like dropping dimes or spilling dimes. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, that that uh, stopwatch thing. That's that's fucking brilliant. This movie can really teach you how to um, <laughs> really teach you how to uh, I don't know um, spy on. Yeah. Well, just just like you know, stalk somebody. <laughs> <laughs> it was also uh, just another small thing from the movie the scene where he's looking through the wet pictures yes after they're just developed it's like it's just cool i don't know it's yeah. weird i'm like why do they keep their pictures wet totally joking that, but... also, that also <laughs> reminded me of uh batman when uh, bob the goon gives him those pictures of vicky vale and bruce wayne and stop uh, the Alexander. press well yeah. and he's like because at one point he's looking through, it's like this is all you got. It's like what is? I, I expect him to say it's like, yeah. uh, you know, it's like who's this? Yeah, <laughs> and it's a picture. Uh-huh. Of him. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the last thing that I have uh, is that this is like, um, I I feel like any good detective movie should be set in L.A. like this and L.A. Confidential, yeah, um, because. L.A., everybody thinks L.A. is fucking awesome. It is not. It is a dirty, gross, bad place. <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's that a whole idea of the sheen over just, I mean, the time I spent, when I spent a few days in L.A., I can't tell you how many different places somebody could say, oh, yeah, that's called Skid Row over there. And it's like, but yet I'm staying across the street from like the super awesome high rise, like fucking bank building. That's like all, you know, like super new and feels really, you know, like clean and everything. But then you just walk a few blocks over and it's, you know, people living in, you know, destitute times or whatever. You'll get a lot of. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say is that, you know, it's like the the idea of of LA being this great place in the thirties and forties only for it to be just corrupt as fuck. But. Yeah. Do we mention, um, the great John Houston? 
as oh my uh, god we have not talked about john houston i mean holy hell i mean it's john fucking houston i mean (laughs) it's kind of funny that susan mentioned when we started watching chinatown she had gotten it mixed up she thought we were going to be watching the maltese falcon and i was like well interesting that you could mix that up i mean john houston is famous for directing the maltese falcon one of again one of the greatest movies ever made right and this movie definitely could could say it it took some influence from the maltese falcon for sure oh yeah john houston and this this comes up kind of in the two jakes too which i'll mention next episode but he keeps calling him gets instead of get us yeah it's just it's it's a rich guy who has no uh no what reverence for the under for the for the right right for the normal person yeah right um, and, and it's just it's always fascinating to me that like when I see John Houston in a movie because he, he did act a lot but um, but he's definitely more well known for his for his directing um, but he also was uh, you know John Houston was in um, Orson Welles last movie that never really got finished until recently it's still sort of unfinished the other side of the wind which if you want to get really kind of funny about that um, there's a character in the other side of the wind that was based on uh, Robert Evans. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and then of course that movie was, was, um, you know, directed by Orson Welles, but kind of famous for it's his collaboration with uh, Peter Bogdanovich, who we've talked about um, a little bit in the past when we, when we've covered Jack Nicholson, because yep. Jack and Jack Nicholson and Peter Bogdanovich all ran in the same circles that sort of new Hollywood um, scene. So it's all just this interesting kind of web of, of creative output that kind of brought, I think, Chinatown to this perfect storm of, of creativity. Yeah. The um, also Peter Bogdanovich made that awesome documentary about Tom Petty. So if you got four hours, which I know you do right now because you guys are, I didn't know he made that. That's interesting. Yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, so uh, run it down the dream. Check it out. Cool. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, John Houston, amazing. Um, and in fact, <laughs> when he came on screen, I was like, holy shit, that's fucking John Houston. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are my exact well, words. <laughs> which is, uh, I like how, a uh, couple of things about, first of all, his performance, he seems, it's like, he's obviously the bad guy. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. He's obviously the bad guy, but he also does do things at least in the early scenes where it seems like oh he's inviting him you know he's inviting this guy who just showed up to eat with him you know he's he's being very courteous but yet everything he says drips with sinister intent oh for sure for um and you know i mean like he even just flat out tells Giddis, it's like you don't know what you're dealing with and it's like yeah Jake, get the fuck out. Yeah, you know, it's like just go, just leave and don't come back, and everything will be okay. Yeah, um, yeah, because <laughs> he's he's got his, uh, you know, he's got his little, he's got his little fingers and everything. But uh, the scene in which, um, in which Cross asks Giddis if he's sleeping with his daughter uh, was the first scene or was shot when Angelica Houston was on set because Jack. Nicholson and Angelica Houston had just started dating their long, long-term relationship. And it's like, Oh God, your father is just asking me. <laughs> he's asking me the same question that he would be asking me in real life. 
So yeah, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I also think I know it's typical to serve fish with the head, but that also seemed like kind of a threat from uh, from Cross. Like, yeah, you can, yeah. yeah. That's a good you point. That's all I had there. I, yeah, I def- that's definitely is very noticeable that the the head of the fish yeah, on the plate uh, is kind of menacing. Yep. 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 All right. Well, I've got I've got nothing else. You guys got anything else for Chinatown? Uh, I think I'm good. I have nope. um, I have one question, Jason. My dad yeah. and I were talking about uh, like what are some of the best movies that we've covered? Like like legitimately like well, you know, considered like you know, like legitimate good, not personal favorites, not right things that that we like that when compared to something like Chinatown or you know what have you but yeah you know, we were talking about like yeah we're going to be talking about Chinatown and um and he's like oh that's you know pretty good and five easy pieces is pretty good and mm-hmm. you know of course jaws is culturally significant even if it's not one of the very best movies ever made um and then of course there's rocky mm-hmm. so I, you know, he said, well, what do you think is the best movie that you've talked about? And before we did Chinatown, I said, well, it's Rocky. To me, I think Chinatown is better than Rocky. But I said, I bet that is not the opinion that Jason holds. I mean, yeah, it's hard to say. Um, I think that. Well, I mean, they both have Burt Young, so. <laughs> maybe it's, maybe, maybe it's, it's just high. him. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's just him. Um, I mean, I'm always going to default to Rocky. Uh, that's sure. just that's just a movie that's that I love dearly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, if you were to look at, you know, I'm looking at AFI's 100 Years 100 Movies list right now, and um, you know, Chinatown comes in at number 17 or something right now. Yeah. Um, and Rocky's and on that list, right? Rocky's on here somewhere, but it's not that high. I thought one of you guys would have picked uh, the Legend of Chun Li, honestly. But... <laughs> well, Chuck, no, that's your favorite movie. Oh yeah, yeah. okay. Rocky, Rocky, I... it looks like Rocky's uh, fifty-seven right now. Yeah, I mean, but that's, I mean, uh, still though, it's like I told that it's like you know, I mean, Rocky's one of your, I mean, it would be like saying, well, you know, Jeff, where do you rank, you know, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest when we eventually inevitably talk about that. And that's going to be number one. Period. Well, Cuckoo, I mean, Cuckoo's Nest is is um, is one below uh, Chinatown on the AFI list right now. Really? Yep. They're, I, they're, yeah. They're neck and neck. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Well. Well, yep. to me, it, it's it's tops. So you know. So I understand why you say you know you default to Rocky, but yeah. Chuck, what what would you say of all the episodes now that you've been a part of? Uh, Excluding Chun Li because that's I know that's your favorite movie ever. Uh, what right. what would you say is the 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 pinnacle of film that that we've talked about? That... Geez, I don't know because a lot of the ones I did were during those special months where not a lot of the movies were very good. They're <laughs> either entertaining or you know there's something of value there, but we didn't cover a lot of great film well here, here i was thinking you were gonna say robo war <laughs> yeah robo war was awesome but uh i mean it probably would that i've been involved with at least as far as cinema is concerned would be this one 
I don't yeah. know if it's my favorite of the movies that we've covered. Like, oh I, yeah, I, I like, favorite's a different thing. Like, uh, Batman is probably my favorite movie we've talked about. Right, like Tombstone isn't going to show up on a top 100 list, no. but yeah, I would rather watch that every day. You know, sure, but, sure, absolutely. Um, probably this then, I would yeah. say. I mean, uh, now with Batman, it's like I, that doesn't have the Burt Young connection, but it does have the Jack Nicholson connection. So, right. Uh, <laughs> Jack's in but, a lot of these top 100 movies. He has been in some <laughs> good movies. And yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, Noah Cross is ranked 16th as, you know, 100 years, 100 heroes and villains. He's the number 16th ranked villain. Mm, yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Anyway, um, if uh, anybody listening has not seen this movie, I don't know why you haven't. Go see it. Go see it at your local Cineplex. It had definitely been a long time since I'd seen it. Um, I for, I had forgotten about the, the incest. Yeah, you seem to be yeah. pretty affected by the bleakness. I'm like, come on, it's Jason. It's pretty bleak. This is this is your this is your wheelhouse. The bleakness is your wheelhouse. It's wheelhouse. Pretty, it's pretty. It's pretty bleak. Um, I guess when we talk about next week's episode, maybe this is a good segue into next week. Um, one of the things I do like about that movie is, I guess it sort of gives a little bit of hope to yes. the character of um, Catherine Mulray. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, a little bit, a little bit in a couple of different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So next week, the two Jakes, we're going to go, uh, 16 years in real time forward, but only 11 in the, uh, in the world of the movies, Mm -hmm. uh, 1948. Yes. This movie was actually supposed to come out in 1985, uh, or at least was supposed to be made in 1985. I've got some stuff to say about that. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, yeah. So next week, the two Jakes and then, um, yeah, we'll put, uh, and then, oh yeah, I was, one other thing I was going to say real quick, we talked about two Christian Slater movies at the start of this month <laughs> and now we're doing two Jack Nicholson movies to end the month. Uh, 100%. I think JJ Giddis is who Christian Slater is trying to be in every movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they were just. So the, I mean, like some of the ways he said things, some of the some of the scenes. I mean, like, I guess if there is a Jack Nicholson character, maybe aside from the Joker that you want to emulate, it would probably be either this or or McMurphy from Cuckoo's Nest. But I, I think I think Christian Slater wanted to be J- Jake Giddes. But I could see that. All right, so next week, the uh, the Jake Giddis saga comes to a close with uh, the two Jakes. Um, Jason, where can people find us? Go to filmseizure.com. Everything you need. Everything you need. Especially in this world of pandemic we're all living in, in the quarantine episodes. Everything, literally, even toilet paper, you can get at filmseizure.com. Some yep. of the movies we've talked about, we could wipe our ass on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chuck, where where places the people can follow us? Uh, follow on Twitter, Facebook, um, SoundCloud. You can follow there and get notified when the new episodes are dropped. Uh, Instagram, where else? I think that covers the major outlets, right? Yeah, I mean, and then also the other places where like podcasts are, like you know the Apple, Spotify, podcast, and Apple. Spotify. Yeah. yeah, you can you can subscribe to us all there too. 
So, until next week, I am Jeff Arbuckle. I'm Chuck Moore. I'm Jason Oliver, and you have been listening to Film Seizure.